And welcome to Ladies' Night, the official podcast of U.S. Chess Women. I'm your host, Jennifer Shahadi, and you are listening to the artist Huga of HugaMusica.com. And that is a song that certainly captured my heart. Oh, Capablanca. And oh, what a season it's been for chess. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Ladies' Night Live from Nashville. I am Jennifer Shahadi, and I'm here with a very dear guest, Dr. Carolina Blanco, a WIM, many-time Venezuelan women's champion, member of Venezuelan Olympic team, a dentist, and most dear to our hearts at U.S. Chess, a huge supporter of girls and women's chess and our Girls Club of National Events from the very inception. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for inviting me to your program, Jennifer. So, Carolina, how many years have you been involved with these girls clubs that we've had here at our national events? I believe this is my fourth year, and I was very excited to start this um, collaboration with the USCF. I think the first time was when uh, the Super Nationals in Atlanta, where I reside for the last 12 years. And also, I run um, elementary programs after school in Atlanta, and I have about 100 to, uh, 150 to 200 students, and I also encourage you to have more girl participation um, in chess in general. Yeah, and these girls' chess club rooms that we have at the national events are so powerful. What we have is all girls, women, moms, and boys as well are welcome to come and we have special events and game analysis by top players like yourself. Mm-hmm. So tell me this one in Nashville, what are some of the highlights of the Girls Club Room? In every uh, national event, uh, scholastic national event, we have this uh, girl club and we try to do different activities to catch the attention of not only girls, but their family members as well. And uh, the new uh, activities that we did in this one was a human uh, chess set in which we got involved, you know, parents, brothers, sister, and coaches, and it was very exciting to see everybody participating in that. We also did chess trivia, in which uh, the girls were trying to answer some chess questions in order to get a reward, chess-related, of course. And then we um, did the Simon with uh, Grandmaster uh, Katerina Nensova, uh, yourself. And then, of course, we run the town hall meeting, which always have new members uh, and people telling what they're doing with chess and the girl promotion in their states. So that was very exciting to, to see in this event. One thing that I really liked this time that you did was you gave a chess lesson that also was like a Spanish lesson. 
Tell us a little bit about that. Well, so I, I was surprised. I know that Spanish is maybe the second uh, language spoken in the United States. Um, even though not many people speak fluently, many people know uh, Spanish words. And when I got the participants at my class, I was asking who speaks Spanish. So most of them, they know how to speak uh, completely, but I I taught them how to say at least the chess pieces in Spanish. And I was uh, challenging them to answer chess question with um, algebraic Spanish notation. So I think it was pretty entertaining. And uh, I would like to invite everybody to, to try to do it in another uh, girls club. I love that because I think it also shows how if your brain is working in two different areas, like you're trying to work on chess and you're also trying to speak a language that you're not fluent in, mm -hmm. it becomes so difficult. So the chess position might be easy, but if you're trying to give the answer and Russian or Spanish and you have to recall and you know link up the square to the number in a language that you're not fluent in somehow the, it was it's very difficult and I think it shows sympathy for people who are new to this country immigrants and maybe English is their second language you know you have to have a lot of patience because they're gonna get it but in the very beginning it's so difficult yeah, the, the thing is also chess have their own vocabulary. So even though you speak fluently the language, you have to learn how to say, you know, the tactics in Spanish again. So when I was um, learning chess in English, I have to say, okay, how to say pin in Spanish? How to say, you know, skewer in Spanish? So all those things you have to kind of learn again to in order to explain, uh, even though you know it, you know, from when you, when you knew how to play chess. Clavada. <laughs> Clavada, exactly. <laughs> I learned that from you yesterday, yes. actually. Yes, uh -huh. from Ping. <laughs> What's the coolest word that you have for chess in Spanish that we don't really use in English? Um, maybe celada, which is also like, a, um, it's a trap, but it can be either an x-ray attack or, or, or like a very powerful um, fork, but it's more like celada. So and and also in Spanish, you know, in different countries, they have some type of different word for uh, a tactics, and as well as uh, opening variation. So I cannot tell how many <laughs> different ways to say, but I can say um, Venezuela way. <laughs> I think. What does salado mean in Spanish? It's more like a, a salada is a, it's like a trap in 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 English, but that's uh, that's what I will say, like a powerful trick. Oh, I got mistake I got into a celada. See. Oh nice but it's a little bit more specific it usually means like four. No four. It, it actually can be different uh, tactics but it's like a wow I made a mistake. <laughs> mm -hmm. Right but it has that kind of like more dramatic. Yes exactly. <laughs> because obviously in Spanish you have all these wonderful dramatic words that aren't directly translatable. Uh-huh exactly. <laughs> there were a couple of kids in that class that actually were fluent in Spanish as well but it was a really nice mix, I thought. I think it's really cool because, to me, chess overlaps so many different subjects. Geography, language, history. I gave a little talk in the girls' club about Vera Menchik and Sonia Graf where I showed this beautiful queen sacrifice by Vera Menchik because both of those women's lives were so dramatically affected by World War II. In the case of Vera Menchik, of course, very tragically, as she died in the London Blitz, and in the case of Sonia Graf, actually um, pretty amazing because she ended up um, in Argentina during the start of World War II, so she was able to escape the Nazis. She was not Jewish, but she was very vocal against the Nazis. And she ended up moving to the United States, becoming a U.S. women's champion. 
So chess overlaps with all these subjects. I know that you recently gave a talk at the University of Tennessee at Knoxville about chess and life skills. Um, can you give us an example of what that talk was about? Yes. Uh, well, I have an invitation by the uh, engineering college at the University of Tennessee in Knoxville. And I, I have a seminar about chess as an educational tool and also the connection with emotional intelligence and also as a tool to build a skill for future careers. You know, you don't have to be chess professional to take all the benefits of chess. And, um, you know, chess can be a social activity and it's very easy to be being popular, you know, if you start a chess club and you go to to the right place to try to spread out the word in the community, something that you really can grow very quickly. Uh, so in in my seminar, I was focusing on all the research that have been published for, by many professors about how chess can stimulate the growth of dendrites in the brain, and then how it can also help to control that emotional intelligence. You know, we had that every time when we have a tough position and we still have to keep that uh, emotion and be able to 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 rebound you know in, and then be able to find the right move to to get out of that complicated position and also to build uh, skill for future careers because chess uh, teach you how to get focused and then it's very important like if you wanted to do you continue your studies you can do that and also be a good a good chess player but you have to be very disciplined you know nothing comes without hard work so you have to be able to have a good um, schedule being able to put the enough time to study chess combined with other activities and be focused once you go to college to avoid that kind of indecision and be switching up of career because you were not thinking that before even into get before to get to college that was the main thing in the seminar. Great, great. And you are a dentist, and there's been some overlap with, with you, your career and chess with the dentistry, right? An orthodontist? Yes. Um, well, I learned how to play chess when I was five. And in Venezuela, I had the advantage, but I also have a, a very nice way to combine studies and chess. And I played chess even when I was pursuing my dentist and orthodontist career. In fact, I played the four Olympic way to all the world youth and work cadet and Pan American. And my brother, Christopher, he's a neurosurgeon. So he's also international master. So we're always being combining studies and career. So we emigrated Venezuela over 17 years ago before moving to US, I was in Brazil. And I still can come by practicing there with patients and then going to chess tournament, you know, with the schedule. When I moved to United States, I found out very difficult to be full-time orthodontist and, and then being able to do some chess related. Even though I don't compete for myself anymore, I'm still with a lot of chess activity as far as promoting, coaching, business wife. And also I wanted to do some my orthodontist skills. So I'm more in the investor part of the orthodontist uh, and the entrepreneurs, entrepreneur part. And I uh, create some uh, chess braces to try to connect chess with orthodontists and promote it to uh, all the treatments and orthodontists. So I still do some uh, annual meetings for uh, continued education. I work with orthodontists. My boyfriend is a pre-established orthodontist in Atlanta. And I also work with other couple of orthodontists as a clinical coordinator. And, you know, I still do braces as an extended assistant for them too. Great, awesome. And I also heard you have a 
chess set me the teeth, right? Yes, you know, when, when I created the chess brace and I went to one of the annual meetings of orthodontists, I think I was the first one orthodontist chess player. And I was very impressed that in the fair, when, when we usually all dentists buy their supplies for their clinics, there were many labs uh, cre- trying to create something with chess and dentistry. And one of them even created with the orthodontic wires on chess set. I took a picture, I don't know where it is it. Uh, but the, I was very honored to feel that kind of connection with chess and dentistry. One of the lads did uh, a chess set with the uh, shape of the teeth. And I bought it. I have it at home. So that's one of my favorite chess sets. But my braces also have a chess, um, chess shape. And I invite everybody to, to take a look at uh, chessmilebraces.com if you wanted to learn more about that. Wow, that sounds so fun. I, I have to get a picture of that and put it in the, uh, the description of the podcast. But uh, I, I have to ask, um, in the Girls Club room, we have so many wonderful volunteers, of course yourself, as well as Maureen Grimaud and Kimberly Du McVeigh who, and, and Krista and her husband Arthur who are helping out in Nashville. Uh, God, they're just so wonderful. But as a dentist, the snack table at the Girls Club room I know we have some oranges. We've got some, we got some good stuff. Some bananas, some oranges. But do the gummies upset you? Yes, and the gummy, the starburst, which is very, uh, <laughs> very high in sugar. And you know, in general, as a chess player, you should not be eating too much sugar during the game. You know, you have to get that used to get some granola bar or some fruit because we know the trick of the sugar. It gets you so hyper. For a little bit but then when that sugar is running out from your system then you have the side effects but we just uh encourage to everybody at least take one to have some fun in the girls room and then go back to the healthy part after that <laughs> all right all right maybe we need to start using those starbucks um for a chess game <laughs> yeah okay only right <laughs> no eating yes <laughs> don't eat the starbursts yeah so in this girls club room we are, we're, we're actually uh we've done a couple of tandem simuls together um, but what is what are some of the most favorite interactions that you have with girls at these events? Some of them are coming from different uh, nationals, so I remember most of their faces. Don't remember all the names, but it's uh, one of the things. Like at age ten, too, the kids grow so quickly that sometimes I see them last year, and then this year they're even taller than me. But it's fun to see them in every van, and they still keep coming to the girls' room, even though we have um, doing the simo with different guests. Sometimes it's other grandmaster invited. We had. Um, many of the U.S. women champions doing Simon, like Jennifer Yu, Nancy Pakitze, Sabina Fuisor, and Irina Krosha. So it's good. I mean, in, if, if I'm not here, I'm sure that many other uh, gracious players will be uh, coming to, to the girls' club to do some, some Simon's and classes. Yeah, we also had um, Dr. W.I.M. Alexi Root, Alexi Root yes. and then Layla DeQuinn in the... Yes. That one we weren't at, that was the one in uh, Texas. Right, right. But we were both also in Chicago, which was mm-hmm. also fantastic. Yes. I had such a great time. Um, but I also think that you're really powerful as a role model because you are a doctor, a dentist, and you're from another background than a lot of the American players. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my, my friends in the Philadelphia area, Gabrielle Moshier, she teaches at a school where many of the kids speak Spanish as a first language. And she told me that for some of them, it's intimidating that as they're trying to learn English more perfectly in school, they're also learning chess and that it really is relatable to have 
uh, people who, who speak Spanish and who come from Latin America to be role models. You know, I think in general to learn a new language is better when you are as a kid, right? But, you know, most of the chess players, especially the one who compete abroad, they speak like more than two or three languages. So that's pretty amazing. And if you can do that in chess as well, so you can be able to, to read books, you know, in all those languages, I think that's a powerful thing. So I would recommend those kids who, who are into um chess spanish just to don't get intimidated just read some more and then you know that's an asset to do it it's just it's not a disadvantage to 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 have that difficulty it's actually you are trying to learn more you are not getting less for for learning a new language i agree and i i told a story yesterday before your talk where i said that my first international competition was in brazil and even though portuguese is the language there um, it was the tournament, the language everybody was speaking was Spanish because there were so many Latin American players. It was like the language of choice at the event. And I distinctly remember that I felt so left out because everybody was laughing. And I knew a little bit of Spanish, but I couldn't understand the jokes. And people were like falling from their chairs or having so much fun. And afterwards, when I was back in my high school classes, Suddenly, I was really paying attention to the Spanish class. But I think in even in every international event, uh, I always remember that even when you don't speak even English or Russian, you just see many people playing blicks and they do trash talking. And even if you don't understand what they're saying, it's funny to see the way that they do some chess move and stuff. I think chess is an international language that you don't need to speak perfectly, but still has so much fun just by seeing the move and then gathering with all the people around the world. I think. I agree. <laughs> I mean, I think it's an easier way to learn a language because you kind of know what people are saying because you know chess exactly. and then you can kind of make the connections. Exactly. One exciting news for the United States chess team is that we have the addition of Lanier Dominguez to our team yes. as he has switched federations to the United States. I think that's a tremendous inspiration to all of the Latino and Latina kids in the United States. Yeah, I love United States because United States is such a mix of culture, you know, you cannot say um, an American and, and all over the world, so you are a citizen of the world. And, and I love that, you know, here we the team is, is made by different uh, uh, members from different countries, but we still represent the United States. So I'm happy that uh, the team is also one of the top for the next Olympiad uh, to win the gold medal. <laughs> and, you know, Dominguez almost won the U.S. championship. Yes, yes, that was very exciting. I was following you and Jazz and Maurice. Uh, Maurice. I mean, I love guys. How, how did you comment all those games? It's impressive. I'm a big fan of Hikaru Nakamura. <laughs> I've always been. I, he was my pick to win the tournament. But I was also so impressed by Dominguez because I think he's really good with his fans. He was always giving shout-out, bilingual shout-out, English and Spanish to mm-hmm. all of his fans from around the world. And... I think it's a, it's a re, he's also a very gentleman. Yes, very like, humble, yes. <laughs> yeah, um, very classy. Uh, Maurice started calling him Dr. Dominguez because <laughs> it looked like he was so professional. It looked like he was like showing up, got his surgery done. Okay, well, he has Capablanca <laughs> as a role model, right? So he, he, I, I heard that he was also kind of classy too, <laughs> at least in his games. <laughs> Yes, and who are your favorite players, both female and male? Well, we have to say from the past, uh, um, I like uh, Bobby Fischer, and then from the current uh, war, I like Casparo and Carson. They are impressive. They are very aggressive, and when they have to be, they are very passive. I mean, 
a positional player when they have to be. It's amazing the capacity that they have of, of stamina to play those long games, still find new, new things when you think that everything is invented in all the chess book. It is amazing. Yeah, Carlson, I mean, the, the few that you picked, uh, I mean, probably the top three, I think, if you ask, if you poll players, you said Fisher, Kasparov, and Carlson, and right? And of course, I have to mention the women's too. I mean, you are one of the greatest players to hear in the United States because there are not many American-born um, girls who have been U.S. champions too. And then um, I also like, of course, Judy Polgar and Hoji Fang, which is pretty strong. And now recently... Uh, when you do, she had have a great year last year, winning all those gold medals in the Olympics, in the World Championship, and and some other strong tournament too. Yeah, I mean, just to win the World Women's Championship basically twice in one year. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. <laughs> amazing. And what do you think is the next step? So we've got these great girls' club rooms in the U.S. national events. We've got great tournaments like the All-Girls Nationals and National Girls Tournament of Champions, um, U.S. Junior Girls, the um, Susan Polgar Invitational. We've got so much going on for girls and women's chess in the United States. Uh, What is the next step? The next step is to try to um, every woman or every coach in their own state to try to promote it by their own. We as a federation were trying to to inspire, right? But uh, we cannot control everybody in every state. And I think uh, there are many ways that we can reach out to university, college, you know, to encourage to to get scholarship and don't let the, any player any player who wanted to continue being a chess player and continue their careers to stop. You still can do both of them, but you just need to reach out the the right institution and. Hopefully, we have more people um, trying to collaborate with the, with the federation to 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 expand our programs. I totally agree. I mean, I I think it is really booming at the scholastic level. Once people get to college, sometimes there's a big drop off. Yes as well as at junior high for girls. So those are like the two big dropout rates. Right, and even if they drop up as a chess player, they still can get involved, being at tournament directors, you know, um, tournament organizers or chess club runners. So um, anything that is chess related. There are so many roles that you still can, can play in the in the chess uh, and activities uh, that you can uh, be connected and still do your other work. That's really important, I think, because... In Ladies' Night, it's not just about the women chess players. It's also about organizers, coaches, because we really need more female representation in all the different spheres of chess, I think, to make it more popular. Exactly. For me, um, getting more girls and women into chess is not just about getting more girls and women into chess. It's also about making the game better, because without female representation, you're missing this whole different way of thinking in the game. Yes, we are important in all role of the society. <laughs> is dentistry also a male-dominated field? Uh, I would say it's uh, more even. I mean, it depends on the countries. But, um, you know, um, dentistry is a very, is, I would say, a niche. But, uh, yes, no, I think it's even. I mean, in for example, in Venezuela, we say it's more um, women than, than, than boys. Here, I would say more boys still, but... Uh, 
but it's even. I will say 60, 40%. I have not checked the statistical part on those. In men to women? Yes. Okay. Atlanta so. or Brazil, what I had seen with other colleagues in orthodontist. So Venezuela, when did you move from Venezuela to the United States? Before um, Venezuela, I was living in Brazil for four years and when I was pursuing my orthodontist specialization. And then from there, I moved to U.S. in 2006. Right, and so you could also give a chess lesson in Portuguese as well? Yes, actually, uh, Portuguese is my second. English is my third. Um, you know, I, I think my English was better before moving to Brazil because when I was in Venezuela, I was traveling a lot to United States, but I didn't want to do my specialization here. So I went there, and then Portuguese, you know, it, it changed my accent a little bit from my English. But, yeah, I love that language. Besides, the, the, the country is beautiful. There are a lot of strong chess players there, too. And I used to play there also in their league, you know, with the woman singing this um, Pirasicava um, thing, which is Sao Paulo, where I was living there for four years. Wow, Portuguese is such a beautiful language. Can you give us a really good chess word in Portuguese? Uh, I will say chess in Portuguese, which is chadres. <laughs> Everything sounds better in Portuguese, doesn't it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, any other um, things that you want to say to our audience? Final tips for parents who might be listening to this, how to get their girls into chess? Well, so the most important is to, to try to, to spark that flame of the motivation for the game, but never force them. Because um, it's, it's not pleasant to, to do something when you really are not into. And if it's important to take some breaks during the chess uh, uh, activity, it's okay. And then you can rethink and then come back. But don't quit because, as I say, chess gives you more benefit than just winning a tournament or winning a game. It's a skill. It's the way of thinking that you can learn and then apply to other life skills that, that you might need in the future. And, you know, it's very rewarding when you can accomplish many things with discipline. And the community that you get out of chess as well. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, thank you very much, um, Carolina, not only for this interview, but for all that you do for U.S. chess and U.S. chess women. Thank you, Jennifer. You too. <laughs> if you like this episode of Ladies Night, be sure to check out all of our podcasts at U.S. Chess, including Cover Stories with Chess Life and One Move at a Time. You can find all archived podcast episodes on the tag podcast in our U.S. Chess news section. And if listening to this motivates you to make a donation to U.S. Chess Women and our initiative to bring more girls and women into the game, no amount is too small or too large. So please consider making a donation on our website. Thank you very much. Now according to Sockfish got it all wrong After slightly advantage I had nothing But my dear Capablanco You tell me We learn more from our defeats Who needs victories?